Well, we're continuing on our series on real life. And um, the last number of weeks we've been talking about what? Does anybody remember? Seven deadly sins. And this is something really out of kind of like the fifth century and church history. The Bible supports it, but the Bible does not just limit it to seven deadly sins. How many of you know that all sin, the wages of sin is? Is death. So all sin brings destruction and messes things up. And you need to know that. Um, Sin is just, it's so ruinous. And it goes beyond. I'm I'm just watching some situations over just the past week or so. That sin doesn't just mess up one thing. It messes up all the things connected to it. And uh, I think we're going to get some help tonight. um, Some things I'm going to share with you that... You know, and the problem is sin, but Jesus is the answer. Amen. I said the problem is sin, but Jesus is the answer. So we've covered um, some of the, said, the seven deadly sins. We've talked about anger, and uh, Pastor Mike talked about anger because he's a really angry guy. And I figured if I if I made him study on it, it, it would it would help. And he's been a lot better lately. No, um, anger. We've talked about pride, envy. Greed, sloth. This is really wild, really random, but Alicia and I this afternoon went to Silver Springs. We have not been in 50 years. No, we have, we have not been there. And uh, we're over by the alligators and stuff, and all of a sudden she goes, Look, honey, and there's a cage with sloths in it. <laughs> I got my picture with them. No, I didn't. But we've looked at those five, and tonight I want to talk about two more, uh, and I'm going to put them together, and they're going to scare you a little bit, okay? So, first one is lust, and the second one is gluttony. So, I'd like for a couple of you to, well, do this. I want you to share with your neighbor real quick your struggle with these, okay? Would you? No, we're not going to do it. Okay. When we think about lust, um, normally we think of that in terms of something having to do sexual. And when we think about gluttony, normally we think that has something to do with with food. And typically they do, but we're we're not going to understand really what's behind these if we limit these to just sex and food. So if you look at Sex and food, what are they? Awesome! I'm sorry. Now, what are these? I think they're awesome. All right, let's close in prayer. (laughs) Hold on a second. I lost my mind. They're appetites. I said they're appetites. So what I feel we're going to do better to look at tonight is appetites. Um, there are so many appetites. Now, let me go back to the idea of lust here for a moment. Lust is a strong desire. It's a, 
it's a desire that would even drive you. So it is not just about sex. It could be a cheeseburger. <laughs> cheeseburger. That's, that's his nickname. Good see you, man. Let's just close in prayer. Then we really... <laughs> okay. I'm, it can be a lot of things that you have just a strong driving desire towards them. This is, listen, this is the dominant spirit of hell. Because what, what happens in hell, it says that the fire is never quenched. It's never satisfied. And that's the thing about lust is that it's, it's this strong desire and it's never is never satisfied. And then gluttony has to do with overindulgence and overemphasis. And you could do that with video games. So it's not just these issues. These are appetites. And both of these, this is reaching for it. And then this one finds it and overdoes. And it continues to overdo. And I'll tell you why. Because appetites, get this, appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Any appetite you have, it's never fully and finally satisfied. It may be taken care of just for a little bit. Let me, let me prove it to you. Thanksgiving Day, you eat this huge meal. You watch the parade. You watch a little bit of football games. And then an hour and a half after you've eaten this huge meal, where are we? We're in the kitchen. Opening the fridge, peeking under things. Are we right? Yeah. You know, before that, you're like, oh, I can't eat, a, eat another bite. And then just in a little bit, we've, we've got to have more food or whatever it would be. So I heard about a year and a half ago a masterpiece of a message by Andy Stanley, who pastors in Atlanta. And I've adapted some things from there. And I certainly want to give credit because of the masterpiece, the way that he put this together and he talked about appetites. And so I want to pull some ideas from there, adapt a few things and use them for our purposes for the, for this series tonight concerning appetites. So let's look at this. Here's some of the appetites that we would have food, sex, power, money, attention. How many of you know some people have just this They'll do anything for attention. Uh, love, acceptance, respect, success, achievement. All of these things that we would, we would press toward. We've got this appetite for it. And so sometimes it's lust. Sometimes it's gluttony. You know, sometimes we're just driving after it. And then once we, once we get it, let's say it's money. Okay. Let's say somebody has such a lust for money. And then when they do something that is successful for them, and now they're making a lot of money, when is it enough? Yeah, and, and I read some stories in the last week or so about some guys that if I could just make a million dollars, and then when they made a million dollars, that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, wasn't enough, wasn't enough. And so appetites, get this, appetites were created by God, but distorted by sin. So all of those appetites, you should have an appetite to go work hard, to achieve, to provide. They're God-given appetites. They're created by God, but they're distorted by sin. 
Second thing that we should look at, and I already mentioned it, about appetites. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Never. And that's a tension that we're always going to have to deal with and realize something may be satiated for right now, but it will be back if, if it is, in fact, you know, an appetite. And then the third thing is this. Appetites speak. They speak, and usually they say one of two things. More or now. And that's what appetites will say. More or now. And so what we have to do is learn how, get some ability to control the appetites. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, you're going to have them your whole life. You'll have appetites your whole life. But what we want to look at tonight is how can we best contain those appetites? And this is really not a matter of how long you've gone to church or even how many scriptures you know. This is a perspective that you've got to have. Now, going to church and knowing scripture is going to help you in this for sure. Walking in the spirit will help you for sure. Because if you walk in the spirit, you'll not obey the lust of the flesh. And lust ultimately leads to gluttony. So, your ability... Or your inability to manage appetites is going to determine the direction. It's going to determine the future of your life. So if you're able to or not able to manage your appetites, that's going to pretty much determine the future of you, your name, your family, uh, your business, your ministry, whatever it would be, is the ability whether or not you can manage your appetites. And let's go ahead and face it. Many, many people, you know people, I know people, have wrecked their lives because of appetites. Come on, is the church here tonight? You know people. We see high-profile people wreck their life because they didn't manage their appetites. And again, it goes beyond these two things, but these two things are definitely... Would, would be involved in this. Too many people wreck their lives, they wreck their future, they wreck their name, they wreck their family because they did not manage these appetites in the right way. There's a great story in the scripture in Genesis 25, and we're going to read a number of these verses here. In Genesis 25, in verse 29, uh, we have Jacob and Esau, and they're brothers, okay? So watch this. Now, Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew. That doesn't even sound good to me, red stew. With that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red. Now, let's go ahead and read verse 31 and 32 here. But Jacob said, y'all got that? But Jacob said, sell me your birthright. As of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? We'll clear that up in just a moment. Let's, let's figure this out here. Jacob is a younger brother to Esau. Esau has a birthright. Now, we don't really have um, a real equivalent in our culture of a birthright quite like they did in this culture. And so the birthright meant 
you as the firstborn son, the eldest son, that when the father would pass, you would receive two to three times as much as anybody else would receive in the inheritance. Plus, it was a sign that you were blessed of God. Plus, and this is a big one, you were the authority now in the family. So if there's any family disputes, any family decisions, any family business, whatever, you were the guy because you had the birthright. Esau had the birthright. And I'm going to tell you what, when it came time that dad passed and the oldest son got that, um, the whole world changed, the whole dynamics of the family changed. And here's this oldest son. He's now two, three times as wealthy as anybody else in the family. He holds all the cards, holds the authority, and he's the one considered to be blessed by God. And let me go ahead and tell you this. And it's his name now. His name on the mailbox. He's, he's the guy. Everybody else, you're just part of the family. Big deal. Everybody say it's a big deal. All right. So... Let me go through some other dynamics here. You've got older brother, younger brother. I had an older brother. I still do. Older brother, younger sister. I get the dynamics of this a little bit. The older brother typically does not need the younger brother. The younger brother needs the older brother. Can, I give, can you give me a ride? Can you help me with this? Older brother, leave me alone. Why are you always in my stuff? You're not one of my friends. You're younger. You can't hang out with me and my friends. Mom, make him go away. Is there a spray for this? You follow me? So older brother, younger brother, there's kind of some unique dynamics. And now older brother Esau comes in. And he says, I'm, I'm hungry. Give me some of this stew. And he suddenly now needs something that younger brother Jacob has. Jacob pushes pause and realizes this is my moment. So he asks and he asks big. And he says, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. And uh, this, is, this is pretty incredible here. Let's uh, go back and read verse 31 again, Genesis 25. But Jacob said, younger brother said, sell me your birthright as of this day. You want some of my stew? Sell me your birthright as of this day. Now I want you to follow this carefully. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? This is the worst trade in history. Are are y'all getting this? This is the, he's about to trade, honestly, he's about to trade his whole future for a bowl of stew. Now let this hit you and hit you hard. About to trade his whole future for a bowl of stew. That's ridiculous. If you think it's ridiculous, nod your head with me. I mean, who would do that? Let me tell you who would do it. You would do it. I would do it. If two things. Depending on what the stew is. 
and depending on your ability to manage your appetites. Because there have been people, we've watched the mighty fall. We've watched people, we thought, you know, how did that happen? And it's because stew, a stew that had their name on it, most ridiculous thing in the world that we would trade, and, and it happens every day. Listen to me, it happens every day that people trade their future for a bowl of stew. So let's let's dig into this a little bit. Esau, remember verse thirty-two. He said, "Look, I'm about to die." Okay, hold on. Let's let's get this straight so that you can get this junk out of your life too. We just read that he came in from the field and he walked into the camp in his own strength. He's tired, but he's not about to die. That's not the way you die of starvation. How many of you, when, when you were a little kid, you know, you're griping in the back of the car, what, I'm starving, I'm about to... Okay, caution, warning, drama. Let me go a little bit further with drama. You believing your own drama. Because we get ourselves all worked up and we believe our own drama. And he got himself, I'm just so, I'm just so. So this birthright doesn't mean anything to me because I'm about to die. What good is it to me? Now, let me, um, now I don't have all the, the background on these studies, but, but um, there's two things having to do with appetites where your brain, actually the chemistry in your brain changes and can fool you some. And this is what we've got to pay attention. The first one is called impact bias. Impact bias. And this is where a simple appetite, you get focused on that simple appetite and it magnifies everything out of proportion. And when that happens, your brain lies to you. Now follow me. And so now you think, let's say that your cup of stew, bowl of stew is a person. You follow me? And impact bias, your brain is lying to you and you're thinking they're an eight, they're a nine, they're a 10. And the fact is they're a three. (laughs) Or I got to have this, this is the best thing ever. (sighs) And we lust for this. We can't get enough of this. And impact bias is telling us this is the greatest thing ever. And actually, it's a pathetic thing. It's pathetic. And this is where buyer's remorse comes from. You know, that we get all worked up and, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And next morning, it's like, what have I done? And let's go back to the people thing. Sometimes people, oh, this person, this person. And then the, the next day, you're like, what have I done? And impact bias lies to you. The chemistry in your brain even. Another one is called focalism. And this is where you focus your mind on one thing or one person and it blurs out every other thing or every other person. And this happens a lot to young men in high school. She walks in the room and you can't see anybody else but her. She walks in the room and she sees everybody else but you. Right? And so what happens, it's this focalism that you focus in on something so much that everything else blurs out. And this is what we've got to be careful is that we don't get over-focused on things or people. 
or stew. Because then we end up doing dumb things and trading out stew, trading out our future for stew. Now, let's go back and read verse 33 here. You still with me? Verse 33, then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. He's wanting to get this deal settled. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, let's do a what if here. A what if. Let's say that at the point that Esau is there, he's hungry, he's tired, that's a given. He's got appetite. And this stew just smells and tastes so good, I've got to have it. And he's at this place and he's confused, he's blurred, he wants this stew. What if somebody could just suddenly show up right there and reframe this whole thing for him? What if somebody could show up and tell Esau, hold up, hold up. I know you're about to sign off on your birthright and that stew does look very good. But in a few minutes, you're going to say, what did I just do? What if I could tell you, Esau, that you're going to have 12 sons and they're going to have large families and they're going to become a nation. And one day that nation's going to go into captivity and they're going to cry out to God. And God is going to send a deliverer, and his name would be Moses. And then Moses, when God is calling him, one day Moses is going to say, okay, you say you're God, who are you that's calling me? And zero in on this. And Esau, get this, listen to this carefully. Because right now, as it is, not having sold the birthright, God would answer Moses and said, let me tell you who I am. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau, if you go ahead and sell your birthright for this stew, here's the other answer. He would say, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? You still want the stew. Are you ready to sell your future, your name, your everything for the stew? Or what if somebody popped in? He's about to trade off. He's going to sign off. However, this thing happened. He's he's licking his chops, looking at the stew. And what if somebody just popped in and says, hold on, Esau, before you do this, before you do this ridiculous trade, let me just scoot you ahead about 2000 years from where we are right now. And there's going to be a guy named Matthew. And he's going to write a book. It's going to be a bestseller. And in Matthew's book, he's going to give, he's going to talk about this greatest story ever that God came among men. And he's going to give the lineage of the Messiah. And it's in Matthew 1 verse 2. And he's going to say, Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac begot Esau. And Esau begot, and it's going to go all the way down into the Messiah. He said, or you can trade all that out. And you go ahead and take the soup. 
and trade off your birthright. And it will read like this. Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Jacob. You know, in essence, he's almost saying, Esau, it would almost be better for you to, to die than to trade your future for this bowl of stew. And I hope you hear how strong that is. I hope you will weigh this on the inside. You've got to look ahead. You've got to, and here's, here's what we want to do here. That, that person who would intervene at that point and say, hold up, hold up, before you do this. Don't you wish you had somebody to pop into your life like that? Well, you kind of do. The Holy Spirit, if you'll listen. And guess what else? And the real you. Not driven by your flesh and your appetites, but the real you. The spirit man on the inside that knows God. I'll say, just hang on a minute. Cool your jets, Timmy. Look at this thing. And what has to happen in that moment, and this is, this is what's going to give you the ability to manage this, is that you reframe the appetite. Because the appetite talks. What does the appetite say? Now and more. And if you could reframe that and say, hold up, hold up. You're about to trade all your future for something silly. And if you can reframe it, here's what happens. You'll be able to refrain from it. Because if you could see, I mean, don't you wish, I wish I could be that guy. If I could be a superhero, I would want to be reframe men. And you just know people that you love and care for are about to do something stupid. And that you could just fly in. Now go reframe men. What are you here for? For you. Sorry. But wouldn't that be awesome that somebody would show up and say, hold up before you do this. I'm thinking of so many people. I'm thinking of so many people. I wish in that moment they could have, somebody could have. And here's the responsibility. It's on you because there is no reframe man. There, it's you. It's you being able to reframe what's going on in that moment and think, now hold on, hold on, hold on. What if? What if? And if you can reframe it, you most likely are going to refrain from it. Now, let's go back here. In verse 34, it says, And Jacob gave Esau bread. Look at this. Jacob gave Esau bread. And stew of lentils, gift with purchase. He even got some bread with it. And then he ate and drank, arose. This is so sad. And went his way. And went his way. And Esau, thus Esau despised his birthright. Do you see this? He traded it all. He ate his little meal. And this is the sad part to me. I was reading these words over and over again today. And then he went away. He just walked away. He didn't realize what all happened there. And and had he been able to reframe it, man, what a difference it would have made. Appetites always say now and more. 
Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And they must be refrained. And when we reframe it, this is, this is what we're saying. This is what we're th- saying to ourselves. If I do this, if I do this, here's an exercise for you. I want you to think 10 years from now. I want you to think 10 years from now. If I do this, if I do this, what, is, what does this mean for me, for my name, for my family, for my finances? Because here's the deal. You have no idea what God really wants to do through you, through your family, through your name, through whatever you're involved in. God wants to do something. That's why the enemy wants to stir up your appetites. And we live in an appetite-driven world, culture, society. We're inundated. We can't watch the whole story. We can't watch the whole show. They've got to come in and talk about, you need a really sweet car. If you use this toothpaste, you'll be sexy. Look at this food. Buy one, get one. Order now. You know, got all these things going on, pulling on appetites just all over the place. Songs, movies, everything all around us, billboards everywhere, all around us, pulling on our appetites, trying to feed those appetites. Now, more, now, more, now, more. And then it go after it, go after it. Everybody's going after it. And I'll tell you what, it's never fully and finally satisfied. And you end up empty and looking for more. And in that process, you end up trading out your future. And your family and your name and your finances and your very purpose. Let's, let's look at this here in Scripture. In Proverbs 5, and I'm going to read you about 16, 17 verses here. It won't hurt you. Proverbs 5 says, my son. Everybody say, that's me. And my daughter. Pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that You may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge for the lips of an immoral woman. Let's stop right there. It could be an immoral woman or it could be money or it could be this or that or them. The immoral woman is figurative and she represents anything that would distract and deter, detour you pull you, lure you away from where you're supposed to be. Are you following me? For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Can I give you a principle for that verse? The long way is better than the wrong way. Say it with me. The long way is better than the wrong way. Verse 8, remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and you mourn at last when your flesh and body are consumed and say how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voices of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Verse 21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his ways. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. 
and he is caught in the cords of his, uh, of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Do not trade your future. Do not trade your future for a bowl of stew. Because you have no idea all that God wants to do through you, through your children, through your grandchildren. Reframe it so that you can reframe it. Preserve your future. Preserve your legacy. And let me just ask you this question. What is your bowl of stew? And you need to think about it and realize the long way is better than the wrong way. Because I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. You'll always have your appetites. You'll always have them. But your future is going to be determined. And the direction of your life is going to be determined on can you manage those or not. And the way to manage them, and there's a whole lot more on this that we could talk about. But you've got to reframe it. I think this is the starting point to realize, you know... What if, what if somebody could drop into your life like I talked about, dropped into Esau's life and say, hold up before you do this, think this thing through because everything's about to change. And I pray tonight that this message will be a warning to every one of us that none of us get smug, none, none of us get too, I'm good because you know what script Paul warned us. He said, take heed lest when you think you stand, you eat a bowl of stew. <laughs> Okay? And so let's be careful. Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Let's help one another. And uh, so that we can overcome and manage these appetites. Reframe it so you can refrain from it. And we can overcome and keep our future and watch what God will do in and through us, our children, our grandchildren, and everything else connected to us. Amen? Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this tonight?